Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the lead pastor of the church. Today, I'll be continuing the sermon series entitled, Putting Resolute in Resolution. May we be purposeful and unwavering as we pursue life change in 2023. May God speak to you through this message. Let's join in as the sermon is underway. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not know, for excuse me, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, that's a tough scripture to read. Paul is very uh, verbose in his use of the words to explain. You could see the, the struggle that he's having with sin, and we're gonna talk about that today, but before I go into that, Jeff here, um, uh, Kenny G's got nothing on you, brother. <laughs> what a blessing today to have him play for us. Gabriel Zobo touched my heart, lifted my soul, maybe it did the same for you. And uh, choir nearer, still nearer, what a beautiful anthem today, really fitting well. And the, and the hymn that uh, Jonathan picked out with Kara to, uh, for us to sing on Calvary, uh, the words to it, just moving us from this uh, way that we used to be to how we now are with Christ. And it's because of Calvary that we are changed and transformed. So let's pray for God to do a good work in us as we prepare for this message. Lord, we've been blessed already just being in this church, being with your people, hearing uh, your word read and hearing the prayers that have been lifted up and the songs that have been lifted up to, to lift our voices in praise to you. God, now I ask that you might do a good work in us. Continue that work. Help us to become more saved as we grow in Christ and as this message is proclaimed and heard by your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Walter Hooper was the personal secretary of uh, Oxford professor, author, and theologian, C.S. Lewis. He probably gave C.S. Lewis the greatest compliment that you could give to a person. He described Lewis as the most thoroughly converted man that he ever knew. After the 8.30 service, somebody walking out said to me, well, I've read the book also that C.S. Lewis's wife wrote. 
Maybe there's a little different perspective there. But I do believe, if you've read any of C.S. Lewis's works, he was a deeply devoted Christian man. His soul, his heart, his mind, his strength, all inhabited by his Savior, Jesus Christ. The the theological term that we want to wrestle with today and explore today is that of sanctification. In the words of our Methodist tradition, it is called Christian perfection, holiness, perfect love. C.S. Lewis and John Wesley had something in common. They were both Anglicans. And Wesley desired to move the Anglican church to a deeper, more profound love for Christ, a renewal movement, if you will, and that's what Methodism brought. Wesley would describe sanctification as the grand depositum of Methodism, that for which we were chiefly raised up by God. What is he saying? Wesley is saying he believes that the movement of Methodism was a movement of God to move us to a greater love for Christ, one that we would make a contribution to all of the world. He would say to us that he believed that God could so fill the heart of a Methodist with love that there would be no room for sin. Let me say that again, because I think it shocks some of us in the room. God could fill the Methodist heart so much with love that there would be no room for sin. That is being made perfect in love. That is Christian perfection. That is sanctification. Those hearing me say those words may say preposterous, impossible. That's not been my experience. But Wesley would say to each of us in this room, if you can say that there's no chance of this happening, well, then you will just end up settling for the life which you desire, but it may not be the life that God desires for you. We are to press on to perfection. We are not to forget God's work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify the life of the follower of Christ. So as we move, continue in our sermon series, Putting Resolute and Resolution, I'm reminded that we are about three weeks into the new year. And this is where social commentators say that most people are dropping their New Year's resolutions. Most are realizing they just can't change. They just can't implement the desired outcome of change that they want to have in their lives, and they're giving up. The funny thing is, is Gina and I were having a conversation at Nuke's restaurant on Friday with the manager, John, and out of nowhere, he made this comment. Yes, at the beginning of the year, salad sales go up. (laughs) And he said, we actually plan for it to make sure that we have enough lettuce and greens in the store for the upsurge of salad sales. But then he said, about this time, about three weeks into the year, we see the sales for pizza and those rich soups and those great sandwiches begin to return back to their normal levels. So I guess you could say whatever is happening with the social commentary is maybe even true in our dietary habits at the restaurants we like. Today I wanna speak out to you about identifying unconverted places in our lives. To do this investigation may be at a good time as maybe some of us are giving up on those resolutions for change or reading the Bible through this year or other things that you might be doing to try to grow in your relationship with Christ. Let's return to the word resolute for just a moment. Its meaning, 
purposeful, determined, unwavering, faithful, steadfast, persistent, resilient. All of these words perfectly describe how we desire to be truly converted, thoroughly converted by Jesus Christ, our Lord. I selected this Romans 7, 14 through 25 passage because of all of the people in the New Testament, I feel like the Apostle Paul is the most converted of anyone. Here is a guy who is actually killing Christians, going about using his energy to, to find Christians so that they could be killed. And he becomes converted and calls Jesus Christ his Lord. He is the one who was trying to snuff out Christianity, and then through his conversion becomes one who wants to spread Christianity throughout the known Roman world. Now that is a conversion. And if that man who had that kind of a conversion is still writing to the Romans the struggle of sin that is going on in his life, well, there's hope for you and me, right? Because we too are working on it. And the more you read the will of God through the scriptures, the more you realize how much more work God has to do in you. And I think that's what Paul is trying to say to us. Now, there were a lot of words there, but let me just lift out some of these expressions again to you. He states that the law is spiritual, verse 14, but that he is unspiritual, a slave to sin. He states that God's law is good, verse 16, but then goes on to say he has trouble following God's teachings as they are revealed to him. He desires to do good. He wants to please God in verse 18, but he continually falls short of that goal. There are things he does not want to do, the law speaks against clearly, and what does he do? He ends up doing them anyway. Verse 19, there's this struggle. And in verse 21, he summarizes his thoughts with these words. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is always right there with me. And in verse 22, there's a war going on in my heart, and sometimes I feel that I'm a prisoner to sin. What is Paul talking about? There are theological words that we can describe what he's describing here. One is depravity, the corruption, the perversion of our human nature. Those of you who did disciple Bible study uh, curriculum through the years recognize we've got a human condition that needs to be converted, that needs to be changed, that needs to call us out of towards God. The doctrine of depravity states that the human nature is corrupted by sin. Our thoughts, our actions oftentimes fall short of God's good and perfect will. And John Wesley would say, Methodists, along with everyone else, had a pretensity, or I would say a bent toward sinning. There are two kinds of sins in broad categories, sins of omission, and then there are sins of commission. Let me talk about sins of omission. We study the word. We know what we're supposed to do, and yet we fail to do it. How many of you can relate with this? I will say that the word of God teaches us that we need to fill our hearts with his word. We need to get up early in the morning like many of the biblical characters and spend time with God in prayer and reading of scripture. And I can find and I believe that's what I wanna do. And yet I'll find that some mornings I'll get up I'll have a text message. It's work-related. I'll go to my emails. 
Next thing I know, I'm immediately engaged in work. And even though I desired to have time with God, knowing that my day would be better with prayer and scripture reading, I do not do what I wanted to do. Then there are those who might relate to this. We know that we have been given a great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. And we know the biblical example that Andrew went and got Peter and Peter came to Christ and became a great leader of the movement of Christianity. We know we're supposed to share liberally the gospel of Jesus Christ with those we encounter. We know that the world is in desperate need to have the healing grace of God. And yet, even though we may know a friend in need, even though we know a friend who's in trouble, even though we know a friend who needs Christ, sometimes we just remain silent We don't invite him to church. We don't invite him to our small groups or to our Sunday school classes, to our band or class meeting. Friends, these are sins that are of omission. We know what we're supposed to do, but we just can't seem to get around to doing what God has asked of us. Then there are sins of commission. Paul says, the evil I do not want to do, I just keep doing it. So let's just have some fun this morning and I want to engage you and we're not gonna speak out loud our sins or anything like that, but I want you, if you've got a piece of paper, maybe a pen in front of you, you could write down a few things as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But I want you to just remind you, the Bible has plenty of things that we are not to do. We're not to be anxious. We're not to be judgmental. We're not to have greed or gossip or lust, or we're not to have materialistic possessions that, and put all of our hope in that. And yet, many times we fall Uh, trapped to that. So I want you just to think for just a moment and we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts right now. I'm giving you a list of things from the Bible, but I think God has something he might wanna say to you today. What is it that is coming to mind? What is the enslavement, the addiction, the secret thing you're keeping from a spouse or from coworkers or from others? What is it that something that comes to mind that you need to confess? Remembering that Jesus said, or excuse me, John said that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So think about that, write something down, have it come to mind. But friends, let me just say also, I, I said, uh, in the, after the 8.30 service, someone came out and said, you know, you didn't get me till the third round. Let's, let's just go a little bit deeper. We could use what uh, St. Ignatius called the examine prayer. Take a, a block of 24 hours, and God has given us this incredible mind, and we can go back and we can review the last 24 hours and invite the Holy Spirit to watch the tape with us, right? Watch the video with us. And as we go through the conversations, we go through the decisions, as we go through the actions, we can realize, oh my goodness, there is one right there where I missed the mark, I failed, I sinned. And then you are more aware of something that needs to change. And this is where I engaged my friend on the third pass. I think St. John of the Cross, God bless him, I don't think I've ever in all my years of preaching had someone be an illustration three weeks in a row. But St. John of the Cross will be again, again today, Catholic priest of the 1500s, bringing revival and renewal, a part of the great reformation, wrote the great, uh, the dark night of the soul. And I've gone through it twice this week in another class, his deadly imperfections. Let me just share a few with you. Pride, being judgmental and impatient with others' faults. Avarice, extreme greed so as to be discontent with what you own. 
Luxury, different than what you think. Luxury is taking more pleasure in the spiritual blessings of being a Christian, having freedoms, enjoying relationship with other Christians, enjoying being in your Sunday school class more than you enjoy God himself. Wrath, becoming easily irritated or impatient with others. Spiritual envy, comparing yourself to others. Now, I went through this exercise twice in the last week. Both times, the same four surfaced for me. You think the Spirit might be trying to tell me something, right? God needs to do some work in me. There are unconverted places in my heart that need to be changed. Jesus is quoted in Matthew 24, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold as the end approaches. Maybe that's a wake-up call to us. As the growing colder of our love for humanity and others is so apparent in our world, as sin seems to be ramping up all around us, maybe Jesus is coming back soon. I don't know the answer to that, but we better be ready. And let me say this to everyone in the room. While the world may be going in a different way in a downward spiral, you as a Christian who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord are supposed to be on a different trajectory, amen? You're supposed to be moving towards sanctification and Christ's work in you. We would call this unconverted places of our hearts a duplicity of heart. We lack a single focus. We let other idols creep in and take their place in front of Christ. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have a divided heart. We are a secular Christian. We have our Christian faith, and then we have our worldly life. That is not the way God has called you to be. John Calvin, Christian reformer and theologian, had a great quote. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but let me just say this. It sounds like something unpolished, a very casual conversation, but it is so insightful. It's just shocking to read it and to share it from the pulpit. He said this, the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood works, it is decked out, sounds so strange, so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it dupes itself. Seriously, dupes itself? The heart is deceptive, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, and who can understand it? We are duped by our own understanding of ourselves. Way to go, John Calvin. Way to take the gloves off and give us a punch in the gut, right? Duplicity, heart in the holes, fragmented heart, unconverted places, but the apostle Paul wins the prize. He calls himself a wretched man. But then he set us up for the greatest question of all. Who can rescue us from this body that is subject to such death? And you know the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our Savior. And friends, I want you to go back in your mind and think about when you were converted, when you gave your life to Christ. 
Though you might have been baptized as a child, there was a day like mine at age 15 that I said yes to Jesus. I wanted him to be my Lord and Savior. And that was the beginning of the salvation work in my life. Well, not the beginning of it, but it was the exclamation point where I made it my own. But then I am saved and I am being saved. That's the right response. If someone should ask you, are you saved? I'm being saved. I am in the process of continuing to grow into everything that God wants me to be. John Wesley would say, love of God is shed abroad among the whole human heart and the transformation of life becomes possible and an irrepressible love for God can be birthed. All of this is a gift given to us by God. Depravity far too long steals the joy of our hearts and darkens our world. We are called to be awakened from sleep and to begin to walk in the light of Christ. Proverbs 4.18 says, the ray of righteousness is like the first gleam of the dawn, which shines even brighter into the full light of day. Some of you who are like me walk early in the morning, see the sunrise as you're walking. But friends, we're not to live as Christians in the dawn of the day, we are called to live as Christians in the bright, glorious light of the day. Amen? Amen? So friends, today when you walk out of church, look up in the sky. Look at that huge ball of light that God has placed up there that warms our cool day today and see the brightness as we leave church today. That is the life that God has called you to. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For one by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. So how does this happen? We must continue to have a love and a hunger for God's word. That was Paul's uh, secret to success. He said the law is spiritual, the law is good, the law is at work. God's word in tandem with the Holy Spirit in the work of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit is doing a new work in us. I was reminded this week in my study about this beautiful word called Bet Sefer. It simply means school in Hebrew. At age five in Jesus's day, the little children would go to the synagogue and there they would begin the process of learning the law and memorizing it. And on the first day of class, the rabbi would take these plates, these slates where they would carve things and make letters and learn from, and they would cover it with honey. And on the first day of class, these five-year-olds would lick the honey as they recited together, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, from Psalm 119, 103. They wanted to make an association with the children that God's word is good. God is good. God wants to give you life. God wants to nurture you and nourish you and lead you in his way. Friends, I share this with you to remind you of God's powerful word in our midst and in our Sunday school classes and how we preach and teach the word here. But Mark Batterson reminds us and do it for a day, you don't stop sinning by focusing on trying not to do the things that are sins. You must have a greater vision so here's the greater vision. Jesus has promised you and me, according to John's gospel, 1423, that he lives inside of us. 
where the Holy Spirit also dwells. God's word is also to be hidden in our hearts. And we heard from David, uh, Psalm 51, that Jacob read, created me a clean heart, O God. All that is to say, friends, God's word speaks. It is like honey, it nourishes, it cleanses, it sanctifies through the power of the Holy Spirit. Kevin Watson in his book, Perfect Love, says there was a time in Methodism where people were experiencing sanctification. And he asked the question, why are we not seeing it in today's world? There are many reasons, but let me just go on with his experience, his exposure of history as he explained it. He said that those who truly sought holiness developed a humility in their lives as they came more and more aware of their brokenness, kind of like Paul. But out of that humility, came a desire for more of God's grace, more of God's love, more of God's forgiveness, so much so so that eventually it was birthed into the forgiving of even those secret places in the human heart. I don't know if you came to church today wanting to be the most converted person. I'd be surprised if someone had that on their list of their ambitions today, be the most converted person that someone would know. But let's just do this. Let's just say we want to be moving towards that perfection, that we want to make progress, and that we want to continue to grow into everything that God wants you and me to be. Why is God against sin? Not because he's angry at us, but because he knows it hurts us, and it separates us from him It separates us from one another, and God wants us to fully live the life which Jesus has called us to. That's the call of the Christian life, and that's how I want to lead you to pray right now. Will you pray with me? Lord God, in this moment, we're secure in our love with you. You have forgiven us in Christ, but Lord, we cringe at the unconverted places that are still left in our hearts. We desire more of you, We desire more forgiveness. We would desire to be more saved. And so God, continue that good work that permeates our union with Christ. Lord, as things have surfaced during this message, there are some that have been dealing with some thoughts and and reflections that have revealed some work, some unconverted places. Right now, we offer those to you as broken areas of our hearts. Lord, save us. Lord, deliver us. Recreate us, sanctify us, unite us as we can bring everything to be more in union with you. We desire more than anything your perfect love to come and fill every part of us. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come do your work and finish out our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 11 on our campus at 300 West Urban Street, downtown Tyler. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and its ministry and serving opportunities. And if we can be of any assistance in your spiritual growth, I hope you'll let me know. May God bless you with a Christ-centered life as we pursue Christ together.